It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Welcome to hour number two of Green and Growing. Thank you so much for being with us here on WSB early on a Saturday morning. Is it light out yet? No, it's not. Man, it's the days are getting shorter and shorter, aren't they? Uh, spring, though. Spring is less than 60 days away. That is something really to look forward to. Really glad to be part of the countdown there. Can't wait for spring. I'm, I'm kind of over winter. And, it, you know, the, in the midst of a pandemic, too, it's just kind of blah. We're ready for spring, some some new growth, new plants, being outside, enjoying some warmer weather and all of that. So glad you're here. If you're gardening for the first time, welcome. If you are beyond a beginning gardener, you're a master gardener, I appreciate you listening in and giving me the time of day and also sharing your tips and your advice with us. You can make us all better by letting us know what you've tried and what you've been successful at, even what you've failed at and how you've learned from it. So I welcome any calls, 404 404- Eight seven two zero seven fifty. Really excited at seven thirty. From seven thirty to nine, the second half of the show. Joe Lample, uh, a host of the television show Growing a Greener World, which is on roughly this time every Saturday morning on public broadcasting in all fifty states. He's going to join us and talk about seed starting. It's a timely topic, something that a lot of you are curious about. Many of you tried for the first time last year. So hopefully you weren't discouraged. Hopefully you had a lot of success and you're ready to do it again this year. Second time around, you want to be better. You want to, you know, have a little bit better yield or maybe understand something a little bit differently, trying a different seed, a different vegetable, something like that. So Joe's going to be along to help us and take your garden calls as well. 404-872-0750. I think we had Stephen in Lilburn on hold, and he dropped off. But Stephen, if you're still listening, I think you were calling about a cast iron plant, uh, Aspidistra, which is that cast iron plant. It's so tough. Um, it's tough. Sometimes it can be grown outside, but it's better known as a house plant. Low light, uh, doesn't need a lot of water. I mean, just as the name indicates. Um, but I think if you had brown spots on the leaves or brown tips on the leaves, generally with house plants, when we see brown uh, tips on the leaves that's indicative of a water issue sometimes too much or too little um, so in the case of a cast iron plant I would make sure definitely that you're not over watering it um, and also if folks do have them outside which here in North Georgia are probably not good they can be um, intolerant of you know cold weather so brown spots on the leaves could also just be indicative of some indication of freeze there, but uh, you can remove the leaves. You can remove the leaves, cut the tips off if you want, but just remove all those old leaves, and that makes room for new growth in the spring, so that is that is safe to do. Uh, glad you called. Up next, Jan in Milledgeville. Hey, welcome to Green and Growing, Jan. Good morning. Hey. Um, we got a poinsettia plant for Christmas, and it's doing really well. We keep our house fairly cool, like in the maybe mid to upper 60s, and I think that's probably it's enjoying that. But um, I'm wondering, uh, eventually, there's, I, I don't want to keep it in the house as a house plant that long. So can I take it out when it gets warm? Can I plant it outside? Will it? Is it more of an annual in, in um, Georgia? That's my question, what to do with that poinsettia. You know, generally we do think of them as annuals. It's, it's a little bit of work uh, to maintain it, but it certainly can be maintained. I think I heard from a lady on Facebook who... Um, 
had a poinsettia that belonged to her son and her son passed away. So she was asking me for tips to keep that thing alive. That was something really important to her. And it can be done. It definitely can be done. And keeping it in a little bit of a cooler spot, like you said, you keep the house a little bit cooler, not right near, you know, a, a, a heat vent or anything like that and slightly moist you never want them to be soggy but when you stick your finger down in that soil you know if it feels just totally dry give it some water do keep it in the house just away from the drafty windows or the dry heat or whatever and yes when it gets warm outside probably april is going to be a safe bet you can move it out there not into direct sun though just kind of have it up against a house or somewhere where it's getting indirect light um, and then, yeah, I mean, by, by April, May, it's going to start getting bigger. And even if by time you move it outside, a lot of the leaves have fallen off, that's okay. It's still alive. It's going to lose some of its leaves, if not all of them. And it's still okay to move it outside. So wait until the warmer weather. You're probably, by the end of summer, going to have to repot it because that little 8-inch pot or 10-inch pot or whatever it came in, it's going to outgrow that. So I'd plan on moving it to a larger pot and then I think October, like late September, October is about the time where Walter's website covers it, Jan. But if you want it to be ready for next Christmas, that's the time where you have to move it into um, mostly darkness for the day, but then let it get like eight to 10 hours of sunlight and then mostly darkness. So people either put a cardboard box over it or put it in a closet. And that's a lot to keep up with for a few weeks um, so really? that... You know, the green leaves turn to red. They turn to those bracts, which are the flowers that we know to be poinsettias. So do you think you're up for the task? Not sure about that last part. <laughs> it's a lot. Like, I mean, I've not done it myself. I've not had the patience. And I had cats in the past, and I was always afraid of keeping the poinsettias around. But um, I don't know if that's a daily thing. Like, I, I think it must be that you've got it either in a bedroom or somewhere where it's convenient for you to see it every day. And making sure it gets that darkness in the closet, but then remembering to drag it out and let it get some sunlight, and then put it—it it just sounds like, wow, I got to do well, this every day for how long? But but so it it isn't something I can really plant in the ground safely. It's not oh. going to. Yeah, no, that not, you can. I've actually seen pictures folks have posted, um, and they get pretty bushy. Yeah, they they can get fairly large. So absolutely, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I didn't catch that part. That uh, yeah, no, it does not have to stay in the pot. It could be planted in the ground. Like I said, probably. After early to mid uh, April would be a good time. Just make sure it stays stays moist, not direct direct sun. Um, yeah, right. see how it does. Yeah, and then but it's got to be brought in then. Later yeah, in the- I I think um, you're in Milledgeville, which is a little further south. But yeah, I still think in in Georgia climate, if it's if it's new and it's not established. I mean, I've seen ones that stay outside, but they're like four or five years old, and they're they're very big. So I think in the beginning stages, the first few years, if you can keep it that long, it's probably best to bring it in, yeah. Okay, well, thank you. I appreciate the information. Yeah, I'm glad you called about that. That's really interesting. And go to uh, WalterReeves.com. Go to Walter's website, WalterReeves.com. When you type in poinsettia, uh, one of the first articles tells you about that whole light to dark and dark to light going back and forth with the plant. It's kind of crazy. It's a lot to keep up with. But um, yeah, you, it, it can definitely be done. And I know folks out there listening have, have had success with it. So very, very good. Thanks, Jan. Always good to hear from you. Up next, Wendy calling from Mableton, Georgia. Hey, Wendy, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey. I had a question about transplanting the green moss, you know, you just see growing everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I've had pretty good success if I transplant it like from the ground you know, where I dig up some of the soil with it and uh-huh. put it in a different place. Sure. 
But last year, I transplanted a lot of it that was on concrete, like a drainage ditch in the driveway. Yeah. And a lot of that didn't take too well. And I tried just putting some of it straight on the red clay. And it's to a shady area. And then other places, I added some soil amendment. But it was a soil amendment that was part soil and part bigger pieces of bark. Okay. And that didn't seem to do too well. Um, but I didn't try sand. I thought maybe I should do sand because that's more similar to the concrete drainage. Hmm. And I'm wondering if you had any recommendations because I would like, you know, the moss to take over that area of my yard more and more. And it's really slow going. Um, so I was wondering if you had any recommendations about that. Yeah. So obviously, you know, moss is definitely going to grow well for folks who may not be as familiar or who folks, you know, are super annoyed. It does very well under trees with large canopies, areas that are low lying and they stay very, very shady. Right. So you have gotten the moss from really good places, Wendy. So starting off when you have that surface, you want to work it a little bit so that it's not a very compact surface, although moss can do well in, in surfaces that are a little tougher. Um, but make sure that's free of leaves or weeds or any other debris. There's no competition that's going to be up against where that moss is trying to be successful. And then, yeah, you just gently scratch the soil surface, you know, roughen it up just a little bit um, to make sure you can lay that moss in. And you just very firmly press it into the soil some folks roll it I mean if they're really serious about this like but you can just firmly press it into the soil it does need to be misted for like the first few weeks but you don't want it to stay you know really really wet especially in the hot weather if it stays wet that's that's not going to do better so it's actually better to let it dry out a little bit than to overwater it. but in the beginning yeah misting it first depending on the climate you know if you get enough rain that's probably going to be just fine um, you know, I've heard all these things too about people being successful with like buttermilk and doing all of these different things. You you may not need the bark, like you said, but maybe some sand too would maybe make that soil surface a little more gritty. Um, and it would take a little bit better. So I'm gonna do a little more research though, Wendy, because I want to make sure I tell you absolutely the best soil that it's going to need so that you have success in transplanting it and just kind of out of sight, out of mind, right? Making sure we don't overwater it too. I know you're trying to grow, but sometimes it's just best left alone. It's one of those things you you don't want to baby it. Sometimes neglect is just what it needs. So in the beginning, we want to make sure we get it established for the first few weeks and then it's kind of a set it and forget it. So thanks for the call. Keep on listening because I'm going to do a little more research. I know in the Pacific Northwest, that's a little more of a thing. So they may have some good tips that can translate down to here in the Southeast that we're going to be able to be successful with it. 404-872-0750 is the number to get you on to Green and Growing. We'll be right back after this on 95.5 WSB. Welcome back to Green and Growing. Really excited to have Joe Lample. TV host and author up here very soon to talk about seed starting and taking your garden calls as well. But first, a weather update sponsored by Finley Roofing. Today, sunny, high around 57, low around 38. And tomorrow, cloudy, a chance for some showers at nighttime, highs in the low 50s. 
and lows in the mid-40s. So the garden to-do list, we've gone through that once in the show. I will give you that again here very soon. But uh, we're talking about roses at the end of the show with Pike Nursery today. Everything you need to know about all varieties of roses right now on pikenursery.com. But I recently caught up with a friend of the show, Norm Mitleider, who has been on multiple times to talk of Japanese maples, hydrangeas, and all that kind of thing. And I had some questions for him about rose pruning. Let's take a listen. And back on the show, a friend of mine and a friend of green and growing, Norm Mitleider. He's a certified aesthetic pruner living in the Atlanta area, and I always come to him for pruning advice. Norm, I'm glad you're back on the show with me. Glad to be here, Ashley. So wintertime, we're pruning, we're cleaning things up and allowing them to you know, be in their best condition to put on that new growth in the spring. Let's talk about roses. Correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe when we're talking about knockouts, a very common rose, I always think February 14th, Valentine's Day, good time to prune or not? Yes, um, that is a good time, but you can also start pruning them early January, but you definitely do want to make sure and not prune later than the end of February. And they've held on to some of their leaves, which is okay, and even some dead blooms if you haven't you know, gone along and pinched those off. But if we have leggy knockouts, Norm, that are maybe three or four feet high, how much pruning can we do this time of year? This time of year, if you really wanted to get after them, in other words, take them down to a foot from the ground, you can do that. Naturally, once you've started developing your rows, that really isn't necessary because each year you're going to trim them down, but not as you're not going to be as hard. Whereas if you're just starting out, you may need to trim them much harder and then over the course of the following years be a little bit lighter. So one of the easiest things to cut back, you just heard Norm say, maybe to a foot, foot and a half tall, take it all the way back. But Norm, let's give them a little bit of a bonus tip. Throughout the course of the spring and summer, when we just need to remove some limbs here and there, some selective pruning, tell people where it's crucial they cut a limb back to. With any pruning, it is very important to always trim to a growth point. You never want to trim midstream and have a stub. You always want to make sure that you've either trimmed back to a stem or a branch or buds or even the trunk. Yeah, pruning back, especially with these roses, to an outward-facing bud. Prune right above that, and that's going to be a new growth point. That's going to be a new stem for the rose bush that season. So, Norm, thanks for stopping by. Appreciate the advice, friend. Thank you. Experts always weighing in on some of your common questions here on Green and Growing, and I so appreciate their feedback. We've got a garden expert coming up that you don't want to miss. Joe Lample joins Green and Growing in the next uh, 10 minutes or so. Stay tuned. You're listening to 95.5 WSB. with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. 7.36 on a Saturday morning. Welcome to Green and Growing, almost a year old. We're a couple weeks, oh, one week shy of being a year old, and I'm so glad you're still here. <laughs> you put up with me for a year, and I think at least another year is probably a... Uh, 
probably sufficient. But I've learned a lot. I've met a lot of you. We've heard some great garden stories, and I've gotten to interview some fascinating people, which I hope to keep that up this spring. I have it, I have it as my mission to kind of go out and discover things and places in Metro Atlanta, you know, really cool things people are doing or places you may not know about um, and kind of venturing out and doing like reporter-like stories about some of these things. Um, so stay tuned. There's a lot of exciting projects like that coming up in the spring, and I'm still able to safely travel, socially distance. Most of the people I talk to are outside, so we're all, you know, very, very aware of that. And I'm always excited to bring you some of the best garden experts and names that you know and people that you trust to uh, lead you down the right path for sure. One of those, y'all are all big fans of Joe Lample. He's been on the show for years when I used to guest host for Walter. When Walter would be out, I didn't host the show by myself. I'd have Mickey Gasaway, Joe Lample, Winston Eason, uh, people like that that were kind of alongside me helping to answer your garden calls and your garden questions. So creator, executive producer, and host of Growing a Greener World, uh, an author of many, many books. And we really want to talk today about seed starting because Joe Lample has the Joe Gardner Online Gardening Academy. So when you go to joegardner.com, there are classes you can take and webinars and things like that where you can learn. So, Joe, I don't even know if I gave you the proper introduction. You do so <laughs> many things. Did I cover half of it? I, I think you got about half of them, actually. Thank you very much. And happy and, you anniversary, know, by the way. Thank That's you. Uh, yeah, February 1st. Isn't that crazy? It's gone by so quickly. And I've had a blast. Like, you love what you do, and I love yeah. this, so it doesn't feel like work. And like you and I were just saying, time flies. I mean, like, here we it are, sure does. 2021. This is crazy. Um, so welcome back to the show. I have been super excited to have you. Like, I squealed when I saw you were on the phone. I was like, yeah, there's Joe. <laughs> So, Probably because I was two minutes late in calling you. Oh, my gosh. Don't even worry about it. You could be 10 or 20 minutes late. I would just tap dance. I would just sit here and tap dance. Uh, so I remember you. having you as a guest host on the show pretty regularly back in the day when Walter was yeah. still hosting and you and I would fill in. You had this plea for Georgia Public Broadcasting, GPTV, like, please put my show, Growing a Greener World, on because you're based in Georgia, yet we didn't yeah. carry your show and it was on most other states. So now give us the good news. Yeah, it was it was funny. The rest of the country <laughs> carried it, you know, and um, both both Georgia stations hadn't carried it. And, and this we're talking eight, eight years in. So wow. like, come on, man. So anyway, I, that's all behind us. They GPB has been great. They're very supportive. They air my show several times a week and um, they're just faithful about it. And it's fun to you know, the f funny thing is I never watch my show once it makes it on TV, first of all, because in Atlanta, up until then, you couldn't because right. they didn't carry it. But um, to sit there and just kind of go through your recorded your recordings on your DVR now, and then you see your show pop up is you know there, it's like wow, finally, it's about time. But um, anyway, it's all good. GPB's been great, and um, we're so thankful that we're in Atlanta and that everybody here gets to see what I do gardening here in the same town that they live in. Yes, and too, like some of the, the stories that you tell and the people that you find, they have fascinating stories and rich histories, places outside yeah. of Georgia. I mean, your traveling is probably somewhat limited now, but you've done some amazing shows. Give me one or two of like the most interesting people that stayed with you, almost like emotional interviews or stories that you've heard. Well, one the one we won our Emmy on was uh, in New York City in the Bronx, Stephen Ritz, who works with um, 
in, in just in a public school, just it's a it's a in the shadows of public housing. So all the students, the elementary school students, are um, you know economically challenged or various things. But mm-hmm. uh, he came in there. He's a dedicated teacher. But he, the long story short, he implemented indoor food growing using those grow towers. Yeah. Um, and and introduce these kids to not only gardening but healthy eating and and clean lifestyle through food healthy organic food and turn them around and got them off of sugar donuts and soda and eating salads and taking that extra produce home every day and teaching their parents how to cook with it and he's turned their lives around their academics are up their their weight is down they're graduating they're fully employed. I mean, really the metrics on the conversion that he is literally responsible for through engaging these kids and learning to grow food and teaching them gardening, it was transformative. And we were able to tell that in a story. And it, 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 I mean, I literally choked up at the end of the show and we left it in the show, but it was that emotional. I was so emotionally drained in a good way after spending, you know, three trips and multiple days with him and observing all the good that he did and how happy his, his students were. Um, I'll never forget that show. It, it was the most impactful. And then, and then I'll tell you one more when we have time. I don't know yeah, if I do right now. Sure. But I want to. Okay. Uh, talking about being in Atlanta and not traveling this year, one of the most emotional shows, probably the most emotional show I've encountered in 11 seasons of my show, happened with my neighbors down the street from me. I live in Milton, and I happened upon a sign going hidden into Alpharetta one day, and it was just a little sign stuck on the ground by the sidewalk, it said plant sale going into a subdivision. I thought, huh, that's interesting. You know, I have lots of plants, but I'm always interested in more. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't pull in. And I, I went to my meeting, and I the next day I was going back by that same spot for another reason, and I saw that sign still out there, and I said, hmm. So I pulled in this time, met Margot and Larry Attic, yes. uh, husband and wife who have been married for 35 years, and they are passionate gardeners, and they have a magical garden that they garden together they're soulmates they love gardening and it just shows you when i walked onto their property i just felt i had a physical trend i just felt different yeah and i got to know them and i and i and i went back up to Margot after i introduced myself and i said could i film a segment for one of my shows here and i was just thinking about the water feature because i had some beautiful water features but then as i got to know him i said wait a minute what am i thinking why limit this this is this is incredible. a whole show <laughs> yeah and so we did a whole show with them. It's this year's show. Eleven uh, Eleven is the episode number, and they can you can watch it on YouTube, GGW TV. And I, we've got more comments about that show, other than the Stephen Ritz show that we did in season eight with the Emmy. Those are the two shows of over two hundred twenty-five shows that we've done that have captured the hearts of our audience, including mine. You know, I think people can really have a sense of ownership and the happiness and the tranquility that comes along with gardening and if you're not into it when you meet people that are like you said about that couple it's just kind of contagious you could feel the love and the passion that they had for that and it is it it is contagious but that's so amazing that you sometimes you don't even stumble upon these stories I know they're they're well planned kudos to your staff that finds these stories but sometimes when you stumble upon some of the the most modest story, imagine what a big deal that becomes if told in the right light. And you do such a fantastic job of that uh, on Growing a Greener World, for sure. Thank you. That I, I wanted to get that one right because I felt it. And, you know, I, watching it, is, it, it definitely impacted a lot of people. But it, there's no 
comparison to actually being there when you feel it in your bones about the, the passion and the love that they have for each other and for their garden. It's amazing. And two, talking about the children in the Bronx, too, like I don't think any yeah. age is too young to start, you know, self-reliance and self-sufficiency and all of that. But just like you get your young children a cat or a dog or a puppy or whatever, and gardening could be much the same, you know, giving them that sense of responsibility and, and the pride. And look what I did. Look what I took care of. Look at what I accomplished. And the fact that they're able to take that home to their parents and have ownership uh, of that and the knowledge of gardening is, is incredible for ages that young. They just beamed, Ashley. Those students, I mean, they're so challenged in every other aspect of their life. And, you know, who knows what their life is like when they go back home. But when they're in school for those hours that they're there every day, they love it. I, I saw the students, they walk across the street to come to school, but they kind of run run to see <laughs> Stephen Rich, the teacher, who greets them at the door every morning with a high five or an attaboy or a hug or some positive affirmation to start their day. And that's how they get started, and then he just nurtures that throughout the day. And, and that moved me to see the joy that they had and the confidence and just how much they love being at school and how, how, how that transferred into their performance and their confidence in yeah. who they were as a person. I'm telling you, I've never seen anything like it. Life skills. I mean, really things that they're learning from that teacher and those experiences can, can stay with them through life. And you've been doing yeah. this a long time. You've been gardening a long time. And what I love about your approach, you're, you're no scientist, but you act like one. You put that hat on <laughs> and you do experiments and trials. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, trial and error is really the best way that we're all going to learn. Can it be expensive? Yes. But as long as you learn from it at the end of the day, I think that's what counts. But next week or this coming week is a big week for you because yeah. you're relaunching your master seed starting classes on Wednesday. People mm -hmm. can sign up for that. So what exactly are they looking at? Obviously, this isn't an in-person class, but master seed starting, what is it? It's online learning. So basically, it's um, if they register for the course, it's, um, it's about six and a half hours of training. And you take it at your own pace. It's broken down into bite-sized lessons. The lessons are grouped into a module. For example, basic equipment. Like, what do you need to really get started with seed starting? What, what are the things you absolutely need? What are the things that you can do without that people tell you you might need, but yeah. you don't have to get right away? Uh, a big one is about lighting. You know, the, the big question a lot of people have is, do the lights that I have, are they sufficient? Or do I need to upgrade to these fancy LED grow lights? Mm -hmm. And what's the difference? And, oh, my gosh, you know. That's how mine. I, I, stood in, yeah. I stood in the aisle at a big box store recently just mm -hmm. staring at the long fluorescent bulbs like, I don't know what size I need. I don't know what wattage. And I don't have a light meter at home, so I can't really measure yeah. the lumens or whatever comes off of it. But that is a really intimidating thing. You know, you, you know where to it buy is. packs of seed. You can buy a bag of soil. But goodness, so I, I do want to cover some of that because I don't want to make this an intimidating process. And I kind of want to go right. through with you my um, knockoff version. You have a much more sophisticated version, but my knockoff version of a seed starting checklist, just really <laughs> trying to dumb it down, keep things Good. basic. And you kind of double check me on it. Make sure I'm going to share it with folks on the Green and Growing WSB Facebook page and you know, get your get your okay, get your sign off on it. Be like, yep, that's all you need to get started. So we'll certainly go over that. And I do have some questions to carry yeah. over from other shows, you know, people wanting to find a particular vegetable or a particular crop and how yeah. and, and where to find it. So we have a lot to cover and you're going to be with us until nine o'clock. So we can also uh -huh. take questions 
about seed starting, about some vegetables you want to try, any of that with Joe Lample. He is my guest, host of Growing a Greener World. You can find it on GGWTV, all the the YouTube channel, the episodes are on public broadcasting. But we're going to be right back, taking a quick break to check traffic and weather. And you can call in 404-872-0750. It's Green and Growing on WSB. A weather update very quickly brought to you by Finley Roofing. So you can plan your day, a beautiful day today. It's going to be sunny, no chance of rain at all. Highs almost reaching 60 degrees, low around 38. And cloudy, a chance of showers tomorrow night. High of around 51, lows in the mid-40s. I want to bring back my guest, Joe Lample, who's also known as Joe Gardner, the Joe Gardner brand. Many of you follow him on Facebook. Joe, we've got a couple of minutes here. And first of all, let me ask you the most obvious question. Here we are, the second to last week in January. Is now a good time to start seed? It depends on what you're starting. Um, I tell people it's almost better to start later than earlier, especially with the cool season. I mean, the warm season crops, like, you know, the tomatoes and the things that we want to grow for summer indoors. If you start too early, you've got those plants growing to the point that they're going to want to be going outside before our frost-free date, Mm -hmm. and they're going to be kind of, itching to get out there and they're going to be uncomfortable in that artificial environment, you know, weeks ahead of when they really can safely get outside. So I would say, hold off if you can. I know that we're all impatient right now to get our <laughs> seeds started, including me. I'm raising my hand to that, but I'll start starting my summer crops around mid to late February and I'm starting. But if you want to get busy right now, you want to, you can start cool season things like cabbage and kale and spinach and crops that love to live in cooler weather and actually do well there, uh, they need some time indoors to get uh, to the point that they're ready to go outside. So now this weekend, uh, I'll be doing that. And you know, I recommend that people do that for the cool, cooler season seeds that they can be sowing. So those of us who are getting a little impatient and we've got to wait until mid-February, late February, now's the time to start with your seed starting checklist. And I'm going to put that up on the Facebook page, Green and Growing WSB, when you search that on Facebook. Joe, let me run through these with you really quickly here. I got about a minute and a half. So we can go ahead and collect all our materials, make sure we've got what we need. So we're not running out Mm -hmm. last minute of the day. We're trying to start the seed. You need a clean seed tray, right? Yeah. Quality quality seeds do you do you recommend catalogs or nurseries well i i think you find the source that you like nurseries i mean i honestly i get a lot of my seeds at pike i really do not just saying that um a lot of times i'm sort of a last minute guy and i realize oh my gosh you know i don't have this seed or that (laughs) seed and they always have a great wall of seeds i'm so impressed with their selection me too and the company that they use is botanical interest for a lot of their seeds and i love them i've had great success with them but i also i seek out certified organic seeds from reliable companies such as high mowing organic seeds out of vermont and there's a number of reputable seed companies around and some of them are regional which can play out better in your garden because they've grown up in your environment and they're sort of adapted over time and and so you've got lots of great options but uh, find what you like and stick with them. All right, quality seeds. So two more must-haves, good soil. I recommend Black Gold is the brand. Seeding mix, that's what I use, Let seedling mix. I love that. That's a Pike Nursery or Pikes like potting and container soil. 
and you need lighting. Joe and I alluded to that before. Strong LED light affixed above the tray. I have a timer for the light. That's pretty handy because I'm not in the basement all the time. And I have a question about two other things that are maybe important, but whether or not you really need them. I'm going to run that by Joe here right after 8 o'clock. And some of your garden questions for Joe, specifically maybe seed starting, 404-872-0750. It's Green and Growing on WSB. For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.